Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. And right now, I'm going to be talking about the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. I'm going to be talking about some trending trailers that have come out over the last few days. Beverly Hills Cop 4 is on its way to Netflix and a whole lot more coming your way. But the first thing, well, one of the first things I want to talk about that I had on the list before breaking news just literally came out a few minutes ago was recapping Disney Plus and The Mandalorian. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. Breaking news came out literally a few minutes ago as Dwayne The Rock Johnson, one of the biggest movie stars on the planet right now with films such as Hobbs and Shaw, Jumanji. He's coming out with a sequel to Jumanji in the next few weeks. He also has had Skyscraper. He's had Rampage. He's had a plethora of great movies over the last few years that have garnered a a huge amount of box office revenue for studios. And he's a social media mogul. He is somebody that uses social media as a huge marketing power tool, is one of the most influential social media people on the planet. He is he is the definition of a movie star right now. And he took to social media, specifically Instagram, a few minutes ago and unveiled the first image, not even first image, but the first look of Black Adam, which is uh, the superhero or anti-hero to Shazam, which was played by Zachary Levi a few months ago, which was a big hit for DC as well, and really, really critically reviewed really well as well. And so for Dwayne The Rock Johnson, it's been, not even rumored, but it's been confirmed for a while that he's going to be playing Black Adam, but then he always came a question of, when is he going to be playing Black Adam? When is this movie going to be coming out? Is he going to be a part of Shazam? What's going to be happening? And so he finally came out on Instagram and confirmed, A, his first look as Black Adam, and also the release date of the movie, because there hasn't been a release date for the movie yet, and it's going to be coming out now on December 22nd of 2021, around the holiday times, which... For The Rock right now, especially with what's happening with Jumanji, the the quote-unquote second film in the Jumanji franchise, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, hit almost a billion dollars at the box office, around $900 million. And this, and this next one, Jumanji The Next Level, is looking to make a lot of bank at the box office around the holiday times on December 13th. So it seems like The Rock is having his way and putting it on the holiday schedule. And looking at this first, it's, 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 it's a... It's not a fan art. It's it's done by Warner Brothers, but it's not like the first official look on set of him as Black Adam because they haven't shot anything yet. But this is just a not a confirmation, but a reconfirmation that this movie is happening and that The Rock will be playing a superhero, which is interesting. Like I said before, Black Adam in the comic books is a villain to Shazam or Captain Marvel as Shazam is called in the comic books of DC. It, it, the question always been, is it going to be paired with Zachary Levi? And they even mentioned Black Adam a little bit in the Shazam movie. And people were wondering, is is he going to be in it? And the question now comes in is, is he going to be playing a superhero? Because The Rock on social media, he put on a long post saying, I've been looking to play a superhero for a while. The dream's coming true. And he highlights and captures his superhero. It doesn't say supervillain. doesn't say antihero. It says superhero. Now, he put in some characteristics that, you know, Superman is always the goody two-shoes. Was for me, I'm a little rebellious, and I'm a little bit more of somebody that doesn't play by the rules. So maybe Black Adam will be more of an anti-hero than a straight-up villain. And maybe we'll get something down the line, which people will probably speculate of, a Black Adam v. Shazam, and then they team up down the line. Is that something we're going to be getting in the future? 
nothing's in set in stone right now. We don't even have a Shazam 2 yet, but Shazam did really, really good at the box office, especially for the budget that it was at, which is around a little, little under $100 million or so, and it made over... 300 million dollars at the box office 400 million dollars at the box office so it, it was a it was a really good hit for the film that was coming out with nothing that was a big blockbuster but still a superhero movie within the box office landscape that we're in right now so i think for shazam it's going to be interesting to see what happens online but right now it seems like one of the next movies we have in the dceu is black adam with the rock it is actually happening and seeing the the poster, it looks really cool. Kind of seeing the the graveyard that's set underneath them, which kind of gives that sense that. And the way he looks, it looks villainish or antiheroish. It doesn't look full on superhero, unless we're gonna get more of a dark, grittier take on Black Adam and the history behind what he experienced with the gods and and the, and the immortals and and what he is right now and how he compares to what Shazam is, especially with the rules that they set in the Shazam universe with Zachary Levi. So this is interesting. I'm excited about it. I'm happy that we finally have a confirmation, which I think is the big takeaway from this and how The Rock looks in, at least in art form of what he looks like and drawn out. We haven't seen actually him in the suit yet, but seeing what he could potentially look like is really interesting and really cool. He looks, he is The Rock, he looks like The Rock, but as a superhero, I'm sure people will be interested to see what he does. And I think also the the reason that they, this is finally happening now is The Rock is able to do it. The Rock is such a busy person between all the movies he's done. He had Ballers, which ended a few months ago. He's Jumanji. He has the Fast and Furious franchise. He did his Hobbs and Shaw reboot, or excuse me, his Hobbs and Shaw spinoff. He's had all this, he's been so busy, and now he's able to take some time off and do this movie finally. So I think that is a big silver lining that they're able to actually film this movie, and he has the time to sink his teeth into this character. So I'm really excited to see what he does with the character. We'll probably get confirmation on directors and other cast members along the line of what will be happening with Shazam 2 in the next year or so before it comes out in 2021. Guys, what do you think? Are you excited about finally getting a first look, even though it's an art poster of Black Adam and The Rock confirming that he will be in it and that it's coming out on December 22nd? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now it's time to go on to what I had as my first main topic for today, and that was, of course, the highly anticipated debut of Disney Plus came out on Tuesday, November 12th. There was a plethora of things that were on the site, but before I get into everything that was on Disney Plus, the big thing that came along with the launch of the new streaming service from Disney that's looking to compete with Netflix was the highly anticipated debut of the first ever live action Star Wars TV show, The Mandalorian, which was showrun by both Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, who has been, they're both huge Star Wars fans, but with Filoni working a lot more with the animation side. He was the director for the first episode that aired, which is titled Chapter One. It's Starring Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, you have Gina Carallo, Carl Weathers, Werner Herzog, you have Nick Nolte, the list goes on and on. Taika Waititi is playing an, an IG droid as well. There's There was a lot of, of hype riding this, and I personally think it delivered on being a lovely first episode. And that's, and, and that's the key, that 
this is the pilot, even though it says chapter one, this is season one, episode one, aka in all television, the pilot episode. And I think as a pilot episode, it worked beautifully. It set the tone, it set the characters, it set the storylines that we're going to be following these characters with, and it set the worlds that we're going to be visiting. And with Star Wars, the vast amount of a universe that we have with it, well, I'm sure we haven't even scratched the surface on, on all the planets that's going to be taking place in. But we set the primary characters. We set the Mandalorian. We set Carl Weathers' character up. We set up Werner Herzog's character up. We knew it. we were introduced to IG-11, Taika Waititi. We were introduced to, to the central core of what this show is going to be. At least the show and at least the first season of where we're going to be propelled going into the next few weeks. And I think... The action was incredible. I, I love the beginning scene in which, again, we're, we're, we set the tone of who the Mandalorian is and that he's a bounty hunter who's looking to stay alive and help his people. And I'm not going to get into big spoilers, but I think that first scene in any pilot, in any television show, sets the tone for what you're going to do. And for that first scene, setting a bar on this snowy planet was awesome. You got to know who the Mandalorian was. And as the, the 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 episode kept going, you learned different snippets of the Mandalorian and his past. And you got interested. And that's what the first episode is supposed to do. It's not supposed to answer everything up right away. It's supposed to set up the questions. It's supposed to set up the storylines. It's set up. And I'm gonna, that's, that's why I'm not going to repeat myself anymore. It's a set up episode. Set up, set up, set up. Okay, that's it. The action for it was incredible as well. It, it it and that's another thing too is that it felt not just like a TV show, but things that we saw with Game of Thrones and Watchmen. Basically, everything that's on HBO with Netflix, there everything's more cinematic quality nowadays. And this definitely felt like a cinematic quality Star Wars product that was being put in front of us. That everything didn't feel like it was put to television. They seem like Lucasfilm Disney gave them a budget. It was a movie-style budget, and they said, run with this, and it felt like that right away. The last action sequence that we get before the end of the episode is is incredible, the choreography that's placed in it. And I think that also goes hand-in-hand hand for the direction that is put with Dave Filoni, who has been alongside Lucasfilm for a very long time. He's done animation directing with Star Wars The Clone Wars with George Lucas, and he did Rebels as well. And this is his first foray into live action, any live action in any form whatsoever. And so I think him being paired with Jon Favreau and having their knowledge put together on their fandom for Star Wars, one with Favreau who loves Star Wars in general, and Filoni who is so enveloped into the lore of Star Wars and the 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 canon of what Star Wars is right now with how Disney acquired them. I think you have those two together. You're setting a great president, and to have Filoni direct the first episode, and he's directing I think the fifth episode in this series and this season particularly. I think you set the tone for again what we're going to be doing, and you give Filoni a, a sense of being able to help set the tone for what you want to actually happen down the line. And then you give him the middle of the season as well. You help him bring everyone up to the cliff, to the high point, and then you help them bring bring it down. So you help set the bridge, and then you help set the, the tip of the bridge, and then that connects to the very bottom of the bridge or the ride, per se. And so I, I really thoughtfully did a really good job with this, especially as a first-time live-action stint. He did a really good job. And also the mixture of, of the genres that has always been talked about with The Mandalorian with the old Western Clint Eastwood 60s films meeting up with the sci-fi of Star Wars in the sci-fi genre as well. And I thought, again, that first scene when you're setting everything up, it, it, you get that scene, you get that bar where you get, you get the bounty hunter, the cowboy kind of 
sitting at the bar waiting to get a drink, and then all hell breaks loose. And it set out throughout the entire episode that that is what we're going to be getting in terms in which instead of riding horses, he rides this really weird creature that I forget the name of. But you you see that, and it, it just it invokes everything of Western style meets science fiction. So I thought it was a near-perfect blend about it. If the only thing that I was... I know some people have said that the first episode was jarring because of the runtime. And with something like this, you think with Star Wars that it's probably going to be an hour to 50 minute long episode. And with this, it, it clocked in at around, without the credits, around 37, 38 minutes towards the end. And I hope, if there's one thing that I, I hope is that I thought that it was too short. I wanted to see more. And I think that's just me as a fan wanting more and, and, and hoping for more. And I think we're going to get more. Because I think that we're getting an episode tomorrow, the second episode in the season, and then from then on out, we're getting an episode every week on Friday, except for Wednesday on December 18th, because on December 20th is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and I'm sure Lucasfilm Disney don't want Mandalorian affecting people going out to see the see the, the Rise of Skywalker, so I'm sure they wanted to space that out as best as possible, but... Besides that week, every other week is going to be a new a new episode of The Mandalorian on Friday. So I think again, this was the this was the pitch both to Kathleen Kennedy and to Lucasfilm, and it was the pitch to us about the again these are the characters, these are the worlds, this is the story. Then the second episode is going to be if you're invested, here you go, go and enjoy it. And I think that we're going to get longer episodes, and we're going to get again more seeped into the lore of the Mandalorians about who this Mandalorian is, why is he a bounty hunter, this world after the Return of the Jedi, which is set five years after episode six, this world without the Empire in it, what, what is the ending mean of this episode, and I'm not going to go into spoilers, but if you've seen the first episode of the Mandalorian, what does that ending mean, how does that set up for the future of Star Wars, what, what does it mean, and I think that was a great hook ending, and, and you always want a hook ending in a pilot episode, and again, that was a great hook, line, sinker into saying, okay, you want to see more? Boom, here's the second episode this week. And then again, getting a new episode every week. And I love the fact that we're getting new directors that have a cinematic feel. We get a, we get a, a, a Roy Fuganato, we get a Bryce Dallas Howard, we get a Taika Waititi to direct the season finale of this episode. We get a Deborah Chong. We get all these incredible directors that are up-and-comers that have worked in television but have that cinematic quality feeling to it. And newcomers like a Bryce Dallas Howard, who I haven't seen direct really anything, and for her to direct one of these live-action episodes for The Mandalorian and the history that her and her family have with Star Wars and Lucas and the Disney family, and who are involved in the Disney family and with Lucasfilm, I think is incredible to see her take on it. I'm just so excited to see where The Mandalorian goes from here. I love this episode. It was a great pilot episode to hook everybody into this show and what the show is going to be in terms of the Star Wars universe. And it gets you thinking about what else the future of Star Wars could be. I've had this conversation. Multiple people have had the conversation of, is the future of Star Wars in television? Is it still in, in cinema? But then we add this layer of exploration in streaming and television with Disney+. Plus. I think this was the launching off point to answering those questions, and we're going to get more questions answered both in the show and about the future of Star Wars in the next few weeks with The Mandalorian hitting episodes every Friday except for December 18th on a Wednesday when Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is gearing up for that week, which I think having that week, that is going to be the sixth episode of The Mandalorian 
So we'll be at, we'll be getting towards the very end. So we'll probably get a lot of stuff happening within the season of Mandalorian that we're going to be invested in that. And then we have the ending of the Skywalker saga. So that week of of the of the sixteenth and the twentieth. That is going to be a very interesting week if you're a Star Wars fan as getting the Mandalorian and getting the final edition of the Skywalker Saga. It is a time to be a Star Wars fan, but it's also a time to be a Disney fan as well as now going from the Mandalorian, which was their highest prize, I think, in launching Disney+. Plus. I got to experience Disney+, Plus that night when I, I, I popped in on Tuesday and I watched it and, and I looked at everything yesterday for Disney+. Plus, and I have to say, I was... I was overwhelmed by the content that was on there in the best way possible. And, and again, I, I reported, I, I, I've been talking about everything that Disney has acquired from everything from Fox and their own library with Disney and then Pixar and then Star Wars, National Geographic, Marvel Studios. And and the fact that they have all these tabs and just the homepage, you have all these different things, Simpsons, Avatar, you have the old throwback shows from Disney Channel, like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, even Stevens, Lizzie McGuire. It, it's so incredible. And then you have Marvel animation that they have from the old Spider-Man shows, the Fantastic Four and X-Men, the 90s cartoons that we have, the 60s cartoons. It's just, it's incredible, the vast library that Disney is able to acquire. And then you add on the original content that they add, like a Mandalorian, like the high school musical show and Noel with Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader. Then you have more documentary style shows like Encore of Kristen Bell in which they, they're they setting high school shows to be a part of these, of, of that basically you have throwback high school shows and that you bring back people that have high school productions and you bring them back to do them again. The world according to, according to Jeff Goldblum from National Geographic. National Geographic originals that they'll have on there. You have the Imagineering show. It, it's incredible and it, I wasn't able to go through everything but I'm going to try to go through every single thing I possibly can. There's this Star the making of the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy that I never knew was out there that I want to watch. There's so much stuff that I didn't know what that I could see that I'm going to watch. And I watched that little short about the expanding the universe with the Marvel Cinematic Universe going on to Disney Plus with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, with WandaVision, with Loki. That was really, really cool. And seeing new looks of what they're going to be doing with all those characters, both new and old, and how it's going to affect both the the films and integrate them with the TV shows. I, I'm I'm just fascinated by it all. And going into this that there were some glitches that were happening for people what's interesting is that disney always does this when they launch something like this a new product they always put it out sooner than you think it's going to be because i think they they always set the bar low for themselves and i think it's because they know that they can hit that huge bar but they don't want to set that bar in case they don't hit it but they know the product that they have on there and they release it at midnight on tuesday and the traffic was fine, and that's why some when you saw on Twitter, some people were putting out early reactions for The Mandalorians because it was available because I'm sure Disney knew that people that pre-ordered in advance or people would be able to get on it, experience it, and then they would be hit by the heavy traffic that came after. And I got – because I'm a Verizon subscriber, I was able it – t- it took my family and I a little while to actually get the Verizon subscription, but we were able to get it at night. At night, but there were a lot of things were happening which people weren't able to log on. People weren't able to 
go into the tabs and people weren't able to see all the products that were in each individual tab or just on the home page in general they were having trouble saving to their library or queuing anything up so th there were some problems that were to be had but when you have i think the hyped product that disney had with disney plus that you i'm sure that they were expecting it but at the same time, it wasn't a good look, but at the same time, you're going to run into issues like that, especially when you have so many people that are looking forward to seeing what Disney Plus is. This has been hyped since at least 2017 when it was really reported that Disney was going to venture into the streaming services. You had all these new originals coming out, but this vast library, you knew the reason why they really bought 20th Century Fox was to adhere to putting more IP onto their streaming service. While they have all this awesome original content they can use, they they, they, they can use these new characters like Fantastic Four and X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have all these really cool assets but those assets are being put towards Disney Plus in the long run. You you have this film division, but it's for Disney Plus, really. And I think that for for Disney, the way that they're able to kind of use this and, and have Fox be used like this, I think, is is really interesting. And that's the reason why they bought it. But and and but and people were so interested in seeing why like why should I buy this? And and I think with when Apple's seeing is that they rolled out their stuff and it wasn't in wasn't nearly the kind of hype that Disney Plus had. There there was hype left and right, and I think they knew they would have technical issues. And and I and it seems like everything's running smoothly now. That nobody's having any kinds of problems, but you people want to see what this is all about. They're, people's childhoods are on Disney Plus. When you look back at even going from Snow White or to The Lion King or to Aladdin or to Beauty and the Beast or even going to something like The Rescuers or, again, even Steven's Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, people's childhoods are on that. And the fact that they can access it for $6.99 or if you're a Verizon fan, you can get it for free for a year. It's something that is incredible and that I, I don't think that you'll people are going to be able to just really just hone in on and you have leading in the tramp and you have a noel and you have again a jeff glowboom or an imagineers you have all this new content you can put out there along with the old and the fact that on disney's first day that they had according to reports from disney they had around 10 million subscribers and users and that they're projected for by 2024 to at least have 60 to 90 million subscribers and right now they have 10 million within one day tells you the kind of height that Disney has around it, according to the the research from Aptopia, there were 3.2 million downloads for the app in one day, and that's usually for the mobile devices that they have. But even still, that people were still interested in that. Apparently, that they're according to Aptopia, that users worldwide collective 1.3 million hours of streaming in the first 24 hours is incredible. Now, the one thing that's interesting is that is this sustainable? And the fact is. A, is it sustainable in terms of hitting these record numbers? But at the same time, is this something that there was a lot of hype around it? You had launch day. People might just be using it. And, and the article on Variety takes this into a, account with the Tell Me subscribers is that you still have that seven-day free trial. And people might be using it at first to kind of see what Disney Plus is. Is there going to be kind of a, a tone line that's just going to be kind of steady for the next few years? Maybe start out really down to steady and then excuse me grow and grow and grow in the next few years which is what disney is is, is expecting because right now we have people it's the talk of the town people are talking about disney plus that has all this incredible ip 
Are they going to want to use it for the long run, or are they going to wait around and see how it goes and then officially buy it down the line in, in future, <coughs> excuse me, future years? I think that's what Disney and Bob Iger is expecting because they even said that, look, we're not expecting a positive return on these outlets until the end towards the mid-2020s, around 2023, 2024, 2025, that's when they're expecting the return on these investments to actually begin to see positive fielding because they're expecting to dish out for original content around $2.5 billion in the next year or so on content. In the first year alone, they're expecting new 50 new titles, whether it be television shows or movies, in the next year or so, and that's going to be, create a lot of content. Even with the Marvel shows, Falcon and the Winter Soldier probably cost $15 million per episode. And then you hear about something like a Loki or a WandaVision costing around $25 million per episode, which is why you see the $2.5 billion investment really come around. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we hear about the quarterly earnings because Disney says they're not going to come out with any of their of their subscriber amounts. They only came out with the first day ones. But now they're going to wait off until the next quarterly investment hearings that Disney has in February, where we'll probably hear about what the initial debut for Disney has looked like in the first few months compared to the first day. And if there has been an increase, has there been kind of we hit 10 million, 20 million, and there's been a steady line of that since? Or do we keep hitting that number? Do we exceed it in the next few years? I think Disney, again, they set the bar so low for themselves because I think they know that they can hit a huge amount. They can hit that high bar, but they don't want to set that high bar for themselves because they see some studios sometimes set a high bar and they don't reach that high bar. Whereas Disney, they set a medium to a low bar because they know they can hit that high bar, but they don't want to go and say, yeah, we're going to hit 10 million subscribers in the first day. And then people are like, well, are you crazy? They said it like, well, we're probably going to score a few million here and there in the first year or so, but we'll see where it goes. And then they hit double digits in their first first day. Again, we don't know if that's if that's going to hold because maybe people subscribe right now, but it's on that seven-day free trial. Maybe they come back and say they're a Verizon person. They say, maybe I'll get on that in a little bit. Or maybe they're just trying to experience it and like, you know what? There's nothing on here for me right now that I want to invest in long-term. I'll wait till there's more stuff for me down the line. Because even though Mandalorian is out, the hardcore Star Wars fans are going to experience it and, and enjoy it for what it is in its and it's time right now, and I think that's what Disney has done very smart. Is that smartly is that they have rolled out these shows to be weekly and not all in a binge format like Netflix has done, or even like Amazon and, and some and Hulu's really taken that approach of doing episodic and not in an entire season in one day in one weekend like Netflix really has been a proprietary for doing and, and notorious for doing since it's really started the inception of a streaming service. So I think for Disney, this this is a great start for them, and I'm really excited to see where they go from here. I love Disney Plus right now. I'm excited to see where the future of Disney Plus goes, even though the future of streaming is happening now. We have HBO Max coming out in the next few months. Then we have Peacock. But Disney Plus is the one that people really thought could be a challenge to Netflix, and it seems like they are going to be that challenge to Netflix's superiority in the streaming race right now. Guys, what did you think of Disney Plus? Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy The Mandalorian if you did see it? Are you excited for future episodes? Are you excited for future episodes of any of your other shows? Did you like any of the original content that was on Disney Plus? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. I'm going to be having separate reviews for the things that I have seen. I'm going to be checking out Noelle, Lady and the Tramp, and I'll have other episode 
reviews for The Mandalorian in the next few days on separate instances of the Sampasel podcast, not in these big show formats. I'm going to leave that to more movie news now. But I wanted to get the first review out of The Mandalorian here. But there are going to be other additional reviews of The Mandalorian coming out in the next few weeks, of course. As I see them, I'll be putting out reviews here on the Sam Bissell podcast. But I wanted to put one in this review. But other ones will be coming out in in different in, in different episodes, not just in these movie news editions of the Sam Bissell podcast. But guys, let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And I'll have more reviews on Lady and the Tramp, Noel, and a whole lot more that is on Disney Plus right now. Now moving on to some trending trailers that have happened around the world of Hollywood. Now moving away from Disney Plus. The, there was a new Sonic trailer that came out on Wednesday. It's directed by Jeff Fowler, and it stars James Marsden and Jim Carrey. And this movie is notorious for the trailer that it came out with a few months ago in around around August time. And it was around the the look of Sonic and how it didn't look, and look like what we know of the video game from Sega to be. And so the creators took that to heart, and they went back to the drawing board, and they decided to recreate the Sonic character, and it seems like they've done that, and it's a way better, it literally looks like they plucked the video game version and put them into this movie, and while the movie itself, I think kids are going to enjoy it, again, it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me, but I think for kids, I think people who are fans of Sonic, this seems like it could get the job done, Jim Carrey seems to, going back to that kooky, crazy stuff that he was in something like a, like a mask or like a Riddler, he's going back to that kind of role that he's been, that he hasn't done in a while, and, and James Marsden is always in these kid flicks. But I, I do love the improvements they made to the Sonic character. It feels like the video game version. I love that. I felt like they've added more personality. And I hope that they make it his story. It seems like the first trailer was they were making Sonic be the shadowy figure. But now it seems like they're it's going to focus more on him. And I hope that is the case. And that it's not focusing on Jim Carrey or James Marsden's character. It is focusing solely on Sonic. Because that's what you're paying to go see. You're paying to go see a Sonic movie and not these instances where you make the supporting characters more of the lead and make the lead character more of a supporting character. That's kind of happened in, in a lot of the Godzilla movies as of lately. Like, you, th that you make the headliner is more of a supporting headliner, not the main headliner that you want to be. So I hope that they keep that instance in there. And again, I think this is something that will appeal to kids. This is a kid's movie. There's a reason for that. It's animated. So Sonic looks interesting, but... Not really my cup of tea at the same time, but I think kids will be interested in this. It'll be coming out next year in 2020. Are you guys interested in the Sonic trailer? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to a other animated trailer that came out, and that was for SpongeBob, directed by Tim Mill, and it's starring the voice acting cast of the highly classic animated show that is still running today on Nickelodeon. And again, to me, this is going to... People, I'm, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I I have seen SpongeBob episodes from time to time. I am not a huge, avid watcher of SpongeBob. It's not really my humor, really. But you know what? It's for kids. Again, like I said for Sonic, this is a kid's movie. It's going to be for kids. They're going to enjoy the humor. I do like the animation for it. I like that kind of 3D animation that's not entirely 2D. I, I really enjoy that. That it's seen, It doesn't seem real world, but... It's 3D real world enough that I'm interested in it. That it looks interesting from an animation standpoint, from a story point. That it, that emotional aspect between Gary and SpongeBob seems interesting, but to me, it's just not not my cup of tea. But I'll probably go see it. And for all I know, I sometimes I I say really bad things about animated movies on with their trailers and some and 
they surprised the heck out of me. I'll never forget How to Train Your Dragon was one where I just, I crapped on the trailer. I was not a fan of it, but that movie drove, just ripped my heart in two and sewed it back together. I love the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, so maybe SpongeBob can make me feel emotional as well. I don't know, but it didn't really appeal to me the way that some of these other trailers that I'm going to be talking about did. SpongeBob, it comes out May 22nd, 2020. Let me know what you guys think about SpongeBob. Are you, are you interested in it? Are you a fan of it? Let me know what you think down below in the comments section. The one trailer that really tugged my heartstrings a lot was the trailer for The Way Back, directed by Gavin O'Connor, starring Ben Affleck. This is a movie about a man who seems to have a troubled past. He's resorted to alcoholism until he gets a chance to coach his old high school in which he was a big basketball star for that team. He helped them win a championship, and now he's kind of has to groom this team that has been on a losing streak. They're not a great team, and he really coaches them, seems like coaches them up to be winners once again. It has all those familiar elements that you know about, especially a sports movie that associates with basketball and that it's about team building and building yourself back up into being a better person. We've seen all this stuff. However, it is from Gavin O'Connor, who has directed an incredible sports film with Warrior. He directed, to me, one of the most underrated movies when it came out that year in The Captain with Ben Affleck. And I, and I listen, Ben Affleck has had a troubled past. He's somebody that he might not be the best person in the whole world, but as an actor, he has, to me, shown a lot of improvement as an actor. And I think, to me, he's one of the best, as an artistic standpoint, he's one of the best directors, producers in the game right now. I understand that what he did with Run All Night wasn't the best, but I still hold to heart what he did with The Town, with Argo, which is one of my favorite films of all time now. I love that movie. I was I championed that movie to win Best Picture, and when it did, I was so happy to see Ben Affleck win an Oscar. And also what he did with Gone Baby Gone. Even, again, Goodwill Hunting, which is one of the greatest films of all time as well. I love those movies. I love what Ben Affleck can do as an artist. I think for him, this is right in line for who he is as a person in that Maybe this can affect him in some way to, to getting his life back into shape. but I, and, and I think for me, again, we've seen these sports movies before, but I don't care because I, I'm a huge sucker for underdog sports movies. I'll get into Ford v. Ferrari in a little bit, but I, I love these movies. I'm a sports guy. I love sports. And to see these underdog stories happen with, with kids and with men and, and the fact that Coaches can learn from players, and players can learn from coaches, and they can build themselves up. I love that. I I, I'm, I really enjoyed and dug this trailer. It hit me in the heartstrings about building yourself up. You can be a better person that you're not defined by one moment. You're defined by many moments, and I think that's what this trailer is conveying. I'm really excited about it, and if there's one person that can really tug at your heartstrings and make you feel triumphant, it is somebody like a Gavin O'Connor. I love him as a director. I think he's one of the most underrated in the business right now. So this one does come out in March, which it doesn't seem like it'll be unless it can carry award season throughout 2020, but it'll probably just be a, a nice, good, feel-good film to begin the springtime, to begin March before the summer movie season kicks in. A feel-good film, especially when it comes out in March. It'll be March Madness will be around that time period. We'll be winding down on the, on the NBA season. So basketball season will be in full swing when this movie comes out. So I think that's why they're having this movie come out at around that time. And I'm all for that. I love... Again, I love these underdog sports films that come out from Miracle to Coach Carter, Gridiron Gang, even though that's football, it, Gridiron Gang, I, I highly enjoy that. I love these underdog stories that don't just have to do with the players and seeing them grow up, but also see coaches grow up and men grow up and men grow 
differently. And I think that is what this movie does. I, I think Ben Affleck seems like he's putting on a great performance in this film. So I'm excited to see what The Way Back is. Again, it comes out in March of next year. Guys, are you excited about The Way Back? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now going on to the last trending trailer that came out today, and that is Seaburg, directed by Benedict Andrews and starring Kristen Stewart. And it is about the French New Wave and Jean Seaburg, who was one of the biggest pioneers during that time period for the French New Wave of cinema. And to me, I, I love this trailer. I love Kristen Stewart in this role. She seems to be absolutely killing it this year as well. Could she gain some awards buzz for this? She could. She definitely seems like she fits the part for that. I'm excited for this trailer. She seems to be really passionate about this part. So I'm excited for Seaberg. It comes out on Amazon soon. Guys, what do you think about Seaberg? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now to move on to some Netflix news regarding Eddie Murphy. And it seems like... Be Excuse me. Seems like Eddie Murphy and Netflix are a big tandem right now after the premiere of Dolomite is My Name, which is getting some awards buzz right now, especially for Eddie Murphy, which I highly enjoy that. I highly recommend watching that. 8 out of 10 for me. And it seems like he's doing a stand-up for Netflix as well. He's getting back into the stand-up game. We're in the Eddie Murphy-sance right now. as we, We've seen a lot of actors and actresses kind of have come back and maybe weren't around so much over the last few years and now... We're getting kind of we're getting a second resurgence, a second wind with people that are some of the best in the game, like Matthew McConaughey. He had his McConaissance back in in the early 2010s. We've had Keanu. We're we're in the Keanu sans right now as well. But we're starting to get into the and it's the Eddie Eddie Murphy sans with Dolomite. And I was getting to stand up comedy. He's going. He's doing Coming to America too. He's going back on SNL this year before the year is out during the holiday times. And now it seems like. Paramount, who just came out with Terminator Dark Fate, has decided to sell the rights of Beverly Hills Cop 4 to Netflix, in which now it means that Netflix will be teaming up with Jerry Bruckheimer and Eddie Murphy to do a Beverly Hills Cop 4, a sequel to Beverly Hills Cop 3, and the Beverly Hills Cop franchise, with the first and second one being touted as some of the best action comedies that come out over the last few last few decades of all time, really. It transferred Eddie Murphy to being a superstar in the industry. And so to see Eddie Murphy come back for this, I'm excited. And I'm excited that Netflix is doing it because I think for Paramount, and this is a huge telling, I think, for the future of cinema as Netflix and all the streaming services are really the tea leaves for what the future of cinema can be down the line. And we see all these big films coming out nowadays, and, and we see, again, people like Eddie Murphy, we're getting a second wind of all these actors and actresses, and we're getting second wins of all these franchises once again, from Halloween to what even what Terminator did, even though it didn't hit big at the box office, we're getting these films once again, and sadly, like a Terminator Dark Fate that didn't have a big box office appeal, I think Paramount saw that, they're, they're going to lose a lot of money from it. And that they are going to want to try to do something else with it. And Paramount can't afford to take a risk once again on a project that maybe people don't want to see again. With what they just did with Terminator was based off of a hit film from the 90s. You bring in Beverly Hills Cop, which is a huge hit from the 80s and the 90s with Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2. Are people going to be interested in seeing another Beverly Hills Cop? And I think Paramount can take that chance, which is why they go to Netflix. I think for Netflix, they give a a blank check to the creators that to Eddie Murphy to Jerry Bruckheimer to do what they want to do with Beverly Hills Cop and it's gonna be interesting to see can is the future of these renovated IPs coming back to the sh to the scene 
are they more suited for the streaming services than they are for the big screen? I think when you have something like, again, a Terminator Dark Fate for perfect example, would that have been better a few years ago? Would that have been better on a streaming service? Would there have been outrage if it went to streaming and not to the big screen? I think in the next few years, we're going to get a very telling tale of with the streaming wars going on, is the future for Netflix with Disney kind of taking over the landscape with all this different IP and Netflix losing a lot of IP to other streaming services like HBO Max and Peacock in the next few years, is their future in showrunners signing Den David Benoff, D.B. Weiss, Shahanda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, and is it also in A-list action stars and just stars in general and doing these big blockbuster films that maybe don't make it in the coming in the next few years that maybe they might have they might have been greenlit years and years and years ago but now in an age where ip and franchises that if you don't make over over half a billion dollars it and and your budget is around over 150 million dollars or so it's not looking good for you and studios aren't going to green light that as fast as they would something like a a, another Marvel Cinematic Universe film or another Star Wars movie or another reboot in the Men in Black franchise because that's where the film industry is right now, unfortunately. And for a lot of these other films that try to get the reboot and they don't pan out, they're really left in, in the dust. And I think when you see films like The Irishman come out with a director like Scorsese and then you get stars like De Niro, Pacino, Pesci in there as well, what is it, what is going to to happen down the line? I think another example is something like The Irishman and also Red Notice, which is starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which is starring Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot, two major, three major stars in the industry today that are embarking on this 150 over 200 million dollar budget production that would really be greenlit at a studio on almost any other given day and any other year maybe, but over the last three, four years, these films with these big budgets could potentially falter. So a streaming service like Netflix, I think, is chomping at the bit, whereas they were pioneers in creating the streaming services and in creating digital content online. They're trying to get more into, okay, we've done that for TV. What can we do for film now? And now it comes into the bait of, do we... Are theaters still in play? Are they not? Do they only appeal to, to saving money because of high prices for the theaters? All this comes into play. And one of the main now recent examples is with Beverly Hills Cop. Is What is this movie going to look like? You have a big star like Eddie Murphy coming back to a huge franchise like Beverly Hills Cop. Won't be getting a big premiere date like it would if it was going to a major theater chain. And theater chains aren't playing around with Netflix right now. So you don't know when you're going to get it in a big theater like an AMC or Regal, but you'll be able to watch it home on Netflix. So I think th there's a lot of questions to come along with with these, with this news and not a lot of answers just yet is we just have to sit and wait to see what happens with Red Notice, which I think is going to be the big key factor in bringing more of these franchises, more of these A-list stars to the services and for these big budgeted films that you would really honestly see I think 10 years ago, you would see something like a Red Notice be made. You would see something like Beverly Hills Cop 4 be made. But because of the failed successes of something like a Terminator Dark Fate, but there's still successes for a for a Halloween, because the budget is so low, they're able to greenlight that and, and bring back the budget because Blumhouse is so, do, does so well in, in managing the budgets for those films and not overextending them.
So I think th- it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the line with Beverly Hills Cop 4, with Red Notice, where the industry is going to go in terms of these big budgeted films that might not be greenlit by studios but can be picked up on the streaming services. So I think it's really interesting to see that and where Netflix is looking to get towards right now and look where the future of filmmaking could potentially be down the line. Guys, what do you think about this news of Beverly Hills Cop 4 going to Netflix? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to some news regarding award season, two major stories that are happening. The first one is Ricky Gervais is set to hold the Golden Globes this year. It will apparently be his fifth and final time he hosted in 2012 all the way to 2010 and vice versa, and he hosted in 2016. In a statement, he said, once again, they made me an offer I can't refuse, but this is the very last time I'm doing this, which could make for a fun evening. Now, knowing Ricky Gervais, I remember when I really first got into award season, he he was really one of the first hosts that I saw on the Golden Globes, and I had to say he was hysterical. I know he, he was roasting so many people left and right, but I think that just what, that's what makes a good host too, is especially for the Golden Globes, it's a dinner party, and a part of a dinner party is you get to roast people in a more intimate setting than you would at the Academy Awards, and I think that's why Ricky has come back so many times is even though he blasts NBC and he blasts all these people in Hollywood, there's a, he causes controversy, but it's good TV that people will come back, and I think he'll definitely provide a ratings spike that hasn't been seen over the last few years for the Golden Globes, and I'll be watching them because they are a part of award season no matter how irrelevant they might be to award season. they Again, they definitely paint a bigger picture for what award season is going to look like in down the line with the DGA and, and, and the guilds and then with the Academy Awards. It'll it'll paint a big a better picture instead of giving an idea of what the winners are gonna be. It'll create a good a good idea of what the contenders might might ultimately be and what the front runners will look like down the line. But I'm excited to see Gervais host once again. The the seventieth seventh Golden Globes will be premiering at on NBC at 8 p.m. Eastern time and 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on January January 5th. And they mark the Official, unofficial start of award season at that time period. We'll, we'll be getting a lot more televised events. And because this year's Golden Globes and, and really award season in general is so short because that the Golden Globes, excuse me, not the Golden Globes, the Oscars will be happening earlier this year instead of later. Everything for award season is pushed up instead of being pushed down, really, in which now the Golden Globes, that which usually would air around the second, third weekend of January, are going to be airing the first weekend in January instead. So right after New Year's Eve, we get the Golden Globe. So it'll be interesting. I, I like the choice. I'm in for a roasting session for Ricky Gervais. And I, and I can't believe that really award season is is here. We're, we're in award season now. We're in the thick of it now that you know, we all the festivals are done. But now we're getting into nominations. We're really setting the feels now for what the, the nominees are going to look like and then the winners, really, of who the frontrunners are going to be once the Golden Globes come in and the SGA and the DGA and, and all the guilds come in before we arrive for the 92nd Annual Academy Awards. Guys, what do you think about Ricky Gervais hosting the Golden Globes? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And speaking of the, SAG, the, the SAGs, Robert De Niro will be awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award. This is an award that is always given out to highlight somebody's incredible career as an actor. And I, I can't believe De Niro hasn't gotten it yet, but he is he's receiving the award this year, especially the fact that he is going to be up most likely for a nomination for, for Best Actor for 
his role in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. It's a perfect time to keep the ball rolling for him during award season. It, it's a great honor for him. Again, this is one of the greatest actors of all time. If you were to make around Mount Rushmore of actors, specifically male actors, Robert De Niro has to be on that Mount Rushmore. He is absolutely incredible. And even when you combine the actors and actresses, you would probably have to put De Niro on that list. He's just... The films that he came out with, really, what started him out was winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as Vito, a young Vito Corleone in The Godfather Part Two, in which he barely spoke any English. He spoke all Italian, and he was just, he, he was just so magnetic on the screen. It, it was absolutely incredible, and you couldn't take his eyes off of him. From Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and what he did in Casino and Goodfellas. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And there's a statement here from sag after President Gabriel Cardes. Robert De Niro is an extraordinary actor, depth, who has extraordinary act... Excuse me. Here we go again. Let's try this again. Robert De Niro is an actor of extraordinary depth and ability. The characters he creates captivate our imaginations, from the smoldering inferno of young Vito Corleone to the raging bull Jake LaMotta and everybody's grandpa Ben Whitaker. He continues to touch our hearts and open our minds to new and exciting worlds of understanding and emotion. It is my great privilege to announce the SAC Astros' highest honor will be presented to one of the most singular talents of our generation, Robert De Niro. And again, he's won two Academy Awards, been nominated for a plethora of others over his life. And he, again, he's, like it said, he's a versatile actor in which he's done great dramas, but he's done comedies. Like, again, Ben Whitaker and Meet the Fosters, Midnight Run. He's just, he, he's somebody that's just, he's, just, he's unbelievable, and he can turn lights on and off every single time. And even in Silver Linings Playbook, he's he plays such a dramatic role, but at times he brings levity to the situation as well, and he brings great comedy lengths that I appreciate and enjoy that he's had over his tenure. So I'm excited to see De Niro being nominated for this. I'm excited to see Irishman, which I am seeing on Sunday. I've heard great things about it. I cannot wait to see it. My most anticipated movie of the rest of the year for the fall and winter. I'm so excited. I'll have a review for that in the next few days once I see it on Sunday. But again, to see him be not be still keep on going on with the Irishman, and he's great in that from what I hear, and everything he's done in the past, there's no higher honor to be placed on a man like Robert De Niro. Guys, what do you think about Robert De Niro getting the SAG after award for Lifetime Achievement? What do you think about Ricky Gervais hosting again for the 77th Annual Golden Globes? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to the final big story that is out in the world of Hollywood right now, and that has to do with The Little Mermaid. They have found their Prince Harry for the live-action film that is coming out. They just had their live-action musical. But this is for the live-action film, which will be directed by Rob Marshall, with music coming from Alan Menken and from Lin-Manuel Miranda. They have casted Jonah Howard King as their Prince Harry to star alongside Haley Bailey, excuse me, Holly Bailey as Ariel, the Little Mermaid, along with Melissa McCarthy, Javier Bardem, and David Diggs. And I've never really seen Jonah Howard King in anything, but apparently he's starred in a few indie films, a few television shows. But he's apparently had two screen tests. The last one was on the 9th of November this month. He was with Rob Marshall, and if Rob Marshall sees talent in him, Rob Marshall has created some really good musicals. He won an Academy Award for Chicago. He did Mary Poppins last year. He knows what to do with musicals. And when you have Alan Menken in with Lin-Manuel Miranda, I'm sure they, they, if they saw something in this guy, 
then I'm sure that they, they saw something potential. I'm sure he's had chemistry tests with Haley Bailey that they they have the chemistry that people are going to want to see from a Prince a Prince Harry and uh oh no a, a, a Prince Eric actually I'm sorry a Prince Eric in which Harry Styles was supposed to be Prince Eric but it didn't work out for him he he didn't he didn't want the role he passed up on it so they found Jonah Howard King who will be taking over guys what do you think about Jonah Howard King as Prince Eric let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now, the final thing I want to get into today, guys, is the annual weekend preview. As this weekend, we're now into the, which is hard to believe, we're now into the third week of November, and we're really getting to the thick of things. And between the big blockbusters that are coming out this year to awards hopefuls, it's got it all mixed this weekend. And the first one I want to start with is my most anticipated for the weekend, my, one of my most anticipated for A, the rest of the year, and in the month of November as well, and that is Ford v. Ferrari, the film that's directed by James Mangold, starring Matt Damon, Christian Bale, and it takes place in the year 1966 during the annual 66 Le Mans, in which the Ford Motor Company went up against the Enzo Ferrari and his company in trying to beat him at the 66 of Le Mans. I've heard amazing things about this movie. This has been one that I've been highly excited about for a while. When James Mangold came on board, Logan was one of not even one of it was my favorite movie of 2017 it's one of my favorite comic book movies of all time he's just somebody that to me is on a hot streak right now and you add Damon and Bale who have amazing amazing chemistry together from what it looks like on screen I'm excited for this one it seems like it'll be a big awards contender for best picture best director it best I don't even know visual effects but best audio best sound mixing best actor the list goes on and on for what Ford v Ferrari can accomplish and then from the trailers that have come out, and then for what happened in terms of being able to go in and extend yourself and being in, to be able to extend outward into being able to kind of just create an adult film that's a blockbuster film with this big of a talent. And I'm a fan of, again, like I talked about the way back, I'm a huge fan of sports films. I don't know a lot about racing, but I'm a big fan of sport underdog films like a Rocky and a Creed and... And, uh, and a miracle and an invincible. I love those movies. I'm a sucker for them. So to see this be the kind of the Americans versus the Italians or the world, really, to see the Americans be the underdog, I'm really excited about it. So Ford v Ferrari is my most anticipated for the weekend. But one of my most many surprises that I'm definitely going to be checking out this weekend is Charlie's Angels, directed by Elizabeth Banks, starring Naomi Scott, Kristen Stewart, Ella Balinskia. This is a movie that when I saw the trailers, I I, I I didn't have a lot of hope for it. I didn't have a lot of hope for it. I didn't think it could really accomplish anything. It looked like maybe it could be a fun time at the movies, potentially, but it just it was just maybe looked a little too cheesy for me. I, I didn't think I would like it. It would just the characters wouldn't be there. Maybe they'd be going too over the top. But it seems like they hit the right sweet spot for this movie, as apparently right now it has a sixty five on Rotten Tomatoes. When some people had this one projecting to be at least in the twenty to to fifteen percent range for Rotten Tomatoes. In which the critic consensus says that earnest and energetic, if a bit uneven, Elizabeth Banks publicly Charlie's Angels as fl new flair to the franchise with fun performances from its three leads. So I'm really excited to see this movie now, to see what all the hype is about. If it's just a fun action time, that's really all I'm looking for. If Elizabeth Banks can direct it, because I did have some skepticism because what she did with Pitch Perfect 2, I enjoy Pitch Perfect 2, but she hasn't done anything else to me that to both write, direct, and produce, and co-write a movie 
I juggle all those hats. I just, for her, and to see that she, it's not just a camera that she has, she's a really big part of the movie. I wasn't really sure about that, but again, there's been a lot of great talent that have been able to do it, and the fact that she's able to just inject some fun, energetic time into this movie, I must be dead wrong about what I said to her, and I'm sorry when I go see this movie, if that is the case, I, I think it seems like she's done an incredible job with just giving people a fun, entertaining film to go see during the November slate before the holidays begin. So I'm excited about this. I love the cast. I've been a fan of the cast for a while. Naomi Scott, Kristen Stewart, Elle Blinsky. I'm excited to see this film this weekend. And then one that I saw a few trailers for, <coughs> excuse me, that have interests me is The Good Liar, directed by Bill Condon, starring Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. It seems like uh, an interesting mystery thriller in which Ian McKellen plays this con artist, but creepy con artist. I'm not really sure, but Helen Mirren might have some skeletons in the closet as well. It's got a 60% Rotten Tomatoes so far, so not the greatest score in the world, but for the, with these two, it, it, it seems like it underachieved a little bit, but I am excited to see these two on screen together and, and see the mystery. So I'm hoping to see this one, but if not, I'm definitely seeing Irishman, Ford v. Ferrari, and Charlie's Angels this weekend, so I'll have those reviews out for you guys this weekend, along with my reviews for Dolomite, Parasite, and what I also saw this weekend in Motherless Brooklyn, which I enjoyed thoroughly, which a lot of people haven't, but I enjoyed that movie thoroughly, but I'll have more details for that in the coming few days. But those are the movies that are coming out this weekend, Charlie's Angels, 40 Ferrari, and The Good Liar. Guys, are you excited about these movies? Is there any other movies that are you excited about this weekend, one that are coming out this weekend or that have already come out? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. But guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out more content on my channel on spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher radio public soundcloud and so much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous network and also be sure to check out the other amazing shows that they have on there such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis and check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return on investment customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services you can also check them out on their website ambiguousproduction.com also on facebook and twitter at real ambiguous also make sure to follow me on social media on twitter Twitter at Basel Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, -S and on Facebook at Sam Basel. Guys, thank you again so much for tuning in, and until next time, keep on screening.